0: These are the heads of their fathers' houses, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylonia. In the reign of Artaxerxes the king, of the sons of Phineas, Gershom, of the sons of Ithamar, Daniel, of the sons of David, Hatush, of the sons of Shechaniah, who was of the sons of Parosh, Zechariah, with whom were registered 150 men, of the sons of Moab and Hoanai, the son of Zeriah, and with him two hundred men. Of the sons of Zetu, Shechaniah, the son of Jezahiel, and with him three hundred men. Of the sons of Aden, Abed, the son of Jonathan, and with him fifty men. Of the sons of Elam, Jeshiah, the son of Athaliah, and with him seventy men. Of the sons of Shephetiah, Zebediah, the son of Michael, and with him eighty men. Of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jehiel, and with him 218 men. Of the sons of Bani, Shelomith, the son of Josephiah, and with him 160 men. Of the sons of Babai, Zachariah, the son of Babai, and with him 28 men. Of the sons of Asgad, Johanan, the son of Hakatan, and with him 110 men. Of the sons of Adonakam, those who came later, their names being Elephalet, Jewel, and Shemaiah, and with them sixty men, of the sons of Bigvi, Uthai, and Zechar, and with them seventy men.
1: I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. And as I reviewed the people and the priest, I found there none of the sons of Levi. Then I sent for Eleazar, and Ariel, and Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jarib, El Nathan, Nathan, Zachariah, Meshalam, leading men, and for Jehoarib, El Nathan, who are men of insight, and sent them to Ido, the leading man in the place of Cassaphiah, telling them what to say to Idu and his brothers and the temple servants in the place of Kassaphiah, namely to send them ministers for the house of our God. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion, and the sons of Mahali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and kinsmen, 18. Also Hashabiah, and with them Jesiah, and the sons of Merari, and his kinsmen, and their sons, 20. Besides 220 of the temple servants, whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites, These were all mentioned by name. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty.
2: Then I set apart twelve of the leading priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their kinsmen with them, and I weighed out to them the silver and the gold, and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God, that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel, their present, had offered. I weighed out into their hand 650 talents of silver, and silver vessels worth 200 talents and a hundred talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold worth a thousand derricks, and two vessels of the fine, bright bronze as precious as gold. And I said to them, "You are holy to the Lord, and the vessels are holy." And the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem, within the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem, To the house of our God.
3: Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy, and from the ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem and there we remained three days. On the fourth day within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of the Mermoth priests, the son of Uriah. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phineas, And with them were the Levites, Josabat, the son of Yeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui. The whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all of Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats all this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and to the governors in the province beyond the river, and they aided the people in the house of God.
4: We do thank you this morning that we have the presence of our holy God going with us, before us, behind us. God, there's no place we can turn that you are not there and God, we just are aware today of your presence, and I pray that in the next few minutes as we continue to worship in looking at your word and listening to your word and obeying your word and living out your word, God, I pray that you would keep that thought in the forefront of our mind that you are with us, that you're for us, and God, we celebrate you today. We celebrate your presence with us. As we look now and continue to worship through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I do invite you today to open up your Bible and keep it open to Ezra chapter 8 as we look at another exciting challenge from this great, great book in, in God's word. We all have things in life that we value. I think we've been reminded (coughs) uh, in the last few minutes that uh, most of us value warm weather. I mean, we wouldn't live here if we didn't, and we're challenged today uh, with a little cold snap. Uh, But we all have things we value. Some, Some people value family. Uh, Family almost always comes first in their lives, and the joy and satisfaction of loving and being loved by family is priceless to them. Uh, Some people value education. Uh, They look at learning as fun. Uh, Education keeps life exciting for them. Uh, For them, it it helps them avoid depression and uh, improves their self-worth. Other people value relationships. Spending time with friends seems to be the key to their emotional well-being. Some people value health. Uh, They treat their bodies with respect. They put food into their body that's healthy. They avoid bad habits that take away from their health They have regular checkups. Their motto seems to be, the greatest wealth is health. And I could go on and on, naming things that people value, things like sports and shopping (laughs) and reputation and community involvement. I mean, we could go on and on and on and on, naming things that, that people value. But what you value reflects who you are and what you do and how you do what you do. What you value reflects your sense of security in life. If you want to know what you truly value, you can look at two things. Number one, you can look at how you spend your time, and number two, you can look at how you spend your money. Those two two things reflect where you really do put your value in life every time we share in a church information membership class uh, we review the four values of our church the value of relationship and truth and leadership and humility how you value plugging into a church like this demonstrates what your what your true life values really are well Ezra chapter 8 records four things that Ezra and these leaders around him truly valued. And this passage today is kind of a wake-up call. It will challenge us to evaluate the personal values that we have to make sure that our personal values line up with God's values. So keep your Bible open to Ezra chapter 8 today as we unpack these four values And kind of use them as benchmarks for where our values. We may not have exactly the same values that these men of God had. But we do have values and they need to line up with godly values. In verses 114, I'm so glad you heard this morning. uh, Evan, read the names of the genealogies of these men who went up from Babylon according to verse 1 in Ezra chapter 8 in the reign of Artaxerxes the king. So the first value is value godly genealogies. Now many times when we come to a passage like this, we just pass over these names. And that's why I wanted them read in our service this morning. You heard them clearly read. The Bible is very clear. That all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is profitable for instruction and teaching and so forth. So what's the value of this genealogy? And as far as that goes, any genealogy that we have in God's Word. A couple of things about genealogies. First of all, they substantiate the Bible's historical accuracy. The Bible is not just made-up stories, And made up parables. The Bible is authentic historical truth. You can take the name of these men. And you can trace it back in history in real time. And so although the Bible is not written as just simply a history book. These genealogies do trace the historical existence of these people. And that's important. Genealogies also uh, confirm prophecy. In Matthew and Luke, we have genealogies that go back and trace the historical record of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, back to real people who had real histories and real futures. Last weekend, I had the privilege of attending my high school reunion. We received this scroll that had a copy of the list of all the graduates of our graduating class. And it was incredible just to scroll through and look through the names of all the people who graduated with me numbers and numbers of years ago. The sobering thing was 69 of the men and women who graduated from high school with me have died. We had a book that was about that thick of the, of the obituaries of every single one of those 69 people. On Friday and most of the day, Saturday, Gail and I had the privilege of spending time with my father. And he started talking about our family history. And Gail is very interested in genealogy, and so she pulled out her little genealogy chart on the cell phone and started going through it with him. And it's amazing the accuracy of his memory. And he's nearly 90 years old, and he told Gail, he said, you know, Ronnie's mom had written down all this in, the family, in her Bible. And so he went back to the room. He found her Bible. He and Gail found her Bible, brought it back. And, I mean, there are pages and pages and pages. Gail took pictures of our, of our spiritual family history. Every single one of my four brothers, the, the significant spiritual events in our lives is intricately recorded in the journals of my mom. And so now we have a record of that. So ultimately... Genealogies are important to document history and to document the records of important things in in the mind of God. But ultimately, genealogies provide insight into the character of God. God created every person in this genealogy for a purpose. Part of their purpose as we see in our message today, in our passage today, was to carry out the mission of God to restore the temple in Jerusalem and restore worship in Jerusalem. But God had a purpose for every single one of these names, every single one of these people. And You know what? God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for for every person in your family tree. And you may be just the person who would radically change the direction of the history of your family by making the kind of commitment to the mission of God that that these men made to the mission of God. So, first of all, today, I want to challenge you in verses 1 through 14 of Ezra chapter 8 to value godly genealogies, take that seriously. Begin to write down the record of God's work in your life and in your family's life. So if God tarries generations from now, people can look back and see the story of God in your life recorded for the future generations to read. Secondly, I want to encourage you to value godly fasting. Now again, I told you that there was going to be some conviction in this passage today for you and me. In verses 15 to 30, we see the value of godly fasting. Look at verse 15. I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priest, I found there none of the sons of Levi. Now stop there for a moment. Who was Levi? Well, Levi was the man of God who was set aside to carry on the priestly line, the priestly work. For God. Verse 16. So then I sent for Eleazar, Ariel, Shemaiah, El Nathan, Jerib, El Nathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Mahulam, leading men, and for Joyarib and El Nathan, who were men of insight, and sent them to Ido, the leading man of the place at Casifpha, telling them what to say to Ido, and his brothers, and the temple servants at the place Cassiphia, namely, to send us ministers for the house of God. And by the good hand of God on us, they brought us a man of discretion of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely, Sherebiah, with his sons and kinsmen 18. Also, Hashabiah, and with him Jeshiah of the sons of Mariah, with his kinsmen and their sons twenty, besides 220 of the temple servants whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites, these were all mentioned by name. And here it is, I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God and seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. In verse 22 again, uh, verse 23, So we fasted and implored our God for this, and He listened to our entreaty. Now, there are a number of reasons to value a godly fast. In verse 22, we see that godly fasting moved the heart of God to answer the earnest prayer of these people. And that's true for you and me as well. Earnest fasting will move the heart of God to answer our earnest prayer. However, the, the, the primary purpose of fasting, listen to this now, is not to get physical stuff that we need or want. The purpose of biblical fasting primarily is for us to replace the earthly things that we feel like we depend on so much... And replace them with God himself. The purpose of biblical fasting is to draw near to God. And not let anything stand between us. And fellowshipping with God. And getting to know God. And letting him get to know us and work in our life. So it's through fasting that we replace these earthly things. And get to know the God we trust and the God we know more personally. And again in verse 24, I set apart 12 of the leading priest, Sheribiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of their kinsmen with them. And I weighed out to them silver and gold and the vessels, offering for the house of our God that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. I weighed out into the hand 650 talents of silver. And silver vessels worth 200 talents. And 100 talents of gold. 20 bowls of gold worth more than 1,000 derricks. And two vessels of fine bright bronze as precious as gold. And I said to them. You are holy to the Lord. And the vessels are holy. And the silver and the gold are the free will offering to the Lord. The God of your fathers. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem within the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. So what does fasting do in a case like this? Well, well, well fasting takes our empty stomachs and turns them into being obedient servants for God from fasting and praying these men were given responsibility and look at what they did they were bold in carrying out their responsibility because they had paid the price to know that they were in the center of God's will that they knew that they were walking with God and carrying out his purpose for their life Now think about, for a moment, fasting in our day. Fasting is kind of a fad in our day today. Uh What we're talking about here is not fasting for losing weight (laughs) or not fasting for some kind of medical purpose. That's, That's not what we're talking about here. Biblical fasting is to voluntarily eliminate the intake of food for a specific time and purpose. And that specific purpose is to draw our lives into alignment with God. Here in Ezra chapter 8, we see that fasting was practiced to strengthen their earnest prayer. To give them confidence. For them to seek God's guidance. For them to seek deliverance and protection from God. But fasting also has several other other purposes. And I'm talking about biblical Christian fasting. First of all, it humbles us before God. And then in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, here's what Jesus said about fasting. Jesus said, when you fast, note, he didn't say if you fast. He said, when you fast, and then he goes on. And he talks about the fact that it's not for show. He said, "Don't be like the Pharisees, who put on sad faces and put on uh, the, the the kinds of uh, stuff that will show that they have been fasting." That's not what fasting is all about. It's it's a private thing between you and God. In Acts chapter nine verse nine, and Acts chapter thirteen verse two, in Acts chapter fourteen verse twenty three, and on and on we could go. The New Testament church faithfully practiced fasting so they could get close to God, so they could know that they were in the will of God. There are many other biblical reasons and values to fasting. Fasting expresses repentance. Some of you are reading through the Bible with me this year, and in 2 Samuel Chapter 15, David had sinned against Bathsheba and against God in chapter 14 of 2 Samuel. And Nathan the prophet had come to him and revealed that he had sinned against God and committed murder and adultery. And what did David do? He rent his clothes, he fasted and prayed and asked God for forgiveness. He expressed repentance. Fasting also is the means by which we express our grief. It also helps us show concern for our work. It helps us overcome temptation. Just think about this. What if David had been fasting and praying when he was away from his army up on his rooftop that day? What if he had been fasting and praying then instead of after the fact? and allowed his life to be brought into alignment with God I think that his his whole history may have been changed for the better it helps us overcome temptation fasting helps us dedicate ourselves to God and best of all it helps us express our love and devotion to God i literally have scores and scores and scores of references in the Old Testament and the New Testament to each one of these references and to the value of fasting in our lives today, the benefit of fasting. So first of all, we see in this passage, and we are encouraged to to value godly genealogies. We're also encouraged to value Christian fasting. Then thirdly, Ezra 8, 31 and 32 encourages us to value God's protection. Value God's protection. Look at verse 31. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. And on the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighted into our hands of Merimoth the priest, son of Uriah. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phineas, And with them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Bereniah. So the servants of the Lord had a tough task. They were carrying out a dangerous mission for God. They had thousands and thousands of dollars worth of gold and silver and the implements of the temple that they were charged to deliver to Jerusalem for the rebuilding of the temple and the worship of God. Their task was not easy. So after fasting and praying, they received protection from God and they carried out their mission. They fulfilled their mission. As they carried out their mission, here's the point though they were not alone. The Bible says the hand of the mighty hand of the Lord, their God, was upon them, was with them. God has given you and me a mission today. It might not be handling gold and silver and temple worship elements. But it's of greater value than that. God has given us a mission to take the name of Jesus to our neighbors, our communities, our country, and to all nations around the world. And you are not alone in carrying out that mission. God is with you. He's for you. He provides protection for believers today as we carry out His mission. As we obediently carry out His mission. His hand of protection is upon us. Let's take a few minutes and unpack that. God protects those who know him and are carrying out his mission. Is that you? Have you come to that place in your life where you have trusted him, given your life to him, said to him that I am all in and following you? If you've done that, if you've made that commitment, then you can trust His protection. If you haven't done that, I would encourage you today to trust Him. For the first time in your life, give up living for yourself and surrender your life to walking with Him and living with Him and being all in with Him. He's the best protection that you could ever have in life. When when you know Him by trusting Him... He sets you free from your sin. And your sin is what separates you from God. And separation from God is what leaves you vulnerable, not only in this life, but in the life to come as well. And He won't be your protector until you know Him as your Savior. So I would encourage you, make sure you've given your life to Jesus today. Notice that God's protection on these faithful servants of his, was not from danger. I mean, they had to face, look at the scripture, they had to face uh, ambushes. They had to face the threat of people uh, harming them and destroying them and wiping out their life. But when you give your life to Jesus and, 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 and you put everything that you have and everything that you own, everything that you know into his basket, then you can trust him to protect you under pressure. You can trust him to protect you under stress. You can trust him to protect you under weariness and in persecution and under frustration. You can trust him to protect you in suffering and through confusion, through perplexity. You can trust him to protect you in fears when the enemy has ambushes and traps that he throws at your life. Notice, in all of these situations, I'm not suggesting that that you will ever be protected from all these things. But as you work through them, as real life happens, then God protects you by being with you and taking you through these challenges and these struggles. When you value God's protection, there's no reason for you to ever be insecure about life, anything in life. When you value God's protection, you know that the hand of God is upon you. Your security is not in the wrong place. I want you to take your Bible this morning. If you have your Bible, open it with me over to the book of 1 Peter 1 Peter chapter 1, and I want to give you the best example for your life and my life that I can find in Scripture to describe this protection that God offers you and me. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, You rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, This passage literally tells you, and I'm using an illustration from John Piper in his exposition of 1 Peter. God has forged this chain. And on one side of this chain is the fact that he has chosen you. Do you see that in in, uh, in verse 3? God has chosen you. He's caused you to be born again. And then on the other end of that chain, God has promised you his riches, his inheritance in heaven forever and ever and ever. So it was God who chose you before the foundation of the world. It is God who is holding you up for eternity and will be giving you that inheritance one day when you reach eternity. So God has given you the best of his past. That chain links back to your past. That chain links forward to eternity. And the promise here is that every link of that chain in between that was forged by God, which represents your life right now, is in the protective hand of God. The God who saved you and the God who has an inheritance for you is keeping you today with an unbreakable bond to your life fettered to his life, and nothing can break that. What more assurance could you want in life than that beautiful picture of what God has done and what God is doing in your life? There's no reason not to trust the protection of God in your life. No reason whatsoever. That doesn't mean life's going to be a bed of roses. In fact, The promise in Scripture is it's not. But He's going to be with you all the way. Finally today, Ezra chapter 8 verses 34 and 35 encourages us, and 36 encourages us to value obedient worship. The whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. The job was completed. And at that time, those who had come, verse 35, from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. And this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people and the house of God. So when the task was completed, when the mission was completed, they worshiped. They poured out their praise to God. They offered sacrifices to God. And I think it's noteworthy that in verse 36, not only did God's people celebrate and worship Him, but all the people around were drawn in to that worship and that praise. In their victory and obedience, they experienced the three aspects of worship. The preparation for worship, the practice of worship, And the power from worship. And friends, that's available for you and me today the preparation for worship. Worship requires preparation. In our preparation, we prepare our heart to fellowship with God through Jesus. We talked about this in in our small group this past Tuesday night. We talked about the fact that when you wake up in the morning, every morning, If your thought and mind is on praise and worship of God, it changes the whole perspective of the day. When you're coming here on on a Sunday like today for corporate worship, if you prepare your heart and get your heart right and begin to sing praises to God, it makes all the difference in the world to how open you will be to listen to God. When you leave here, you leave here with the worship of God on your heart. And so worship requires preparation. Then, as we enter the practice of worship, we're called to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. We live in relationship with God because of His mercy and grace, and because of His mercy and grace, we're drawn to Him in worship. Worship's not about me. I hear people all the time say, I didn't get anything out of worship today. Well, that's not the purpose of worship. The purpose of worship is for you to celebrate God and give praise and glory to God. The old song, Rock of Ages, says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That's the purpose of worship. And then we understand that worship requires a response. The power that we get from worship compels us when we leave here to let our worship flow out loud so those around us will see the glory of God shining in our life and be drawn to that same experience that we've had. So how can we wrap this up today? As I said earlier, we all have things we value. Do you value what God is doing in your history? The genealogy of your life? I I would encourage you, if you've not already begun to journal, begin journaling today. Write down the blessings of God in your life so others can celebrate one day the work of God, the hand of God working in your life. Value godly Christian fasting. In other words, let God be the priority in your life. Give up something that you feel like you depend on and substitute God in that time for a half a day or a day or several days. Value godly fasting. Value God's protection. We live in stormy times. I mean, even if you don't follow media, you know that we live in in stormy times. And so I would encourage you to know God intimately and trust Him. Let Him lead you through every storm that life throws at you. And then finally, I want us to go away today valuing obedient worship. True worship develops in us a righteousness and a holiness that carries us through everything that comes against us in life and helps us fulfill the mission that God has given us to know Jesus and make all of life about him. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ who makes disciples, who makes disciples. That's our mission. So today, be willing to totally surrender your life. Be all in. For the glory of God through Jesus Christ would you bow with me in prayer as we prepare to pray I want to just challenge you today to let the Holy Spirit speak continue to speak to your heart through the challenge from his word today He may be challenging you today to come to know him because you've never surrendered your life to him. You've never committed your life to him by saying, God, I want to be all in for you, and you've never followed his command to follow him in baptism as a believer in Christ. You might want to make that commitment today. You might want to make a commitment to begin to write down and pray through and sell out to Jesus Christ with everything that you have, including taking time to sacrifice a little bit to get to know him better through fasting and praying. I don't know what God's moving your heart to do, but God, today I pray that whatever you're speaking to the life of every man, woman, and student here today, God, you'll help our answer to be yes. You'll help us to cry out from our inner soul. God, all that I have and all that I am, I dedicate to you. I want to be faithful to you. I want to be like these men who had a mission from you and fulfilled that mission and then celebrated the success of that mission. God, one day when we stand before you and we remember this day, I pray that what we remember about this day will be that we said yes to the call of the Holy Spirit in our life. Continue to work in our life now as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.